Hello, thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. For network or show information, visit byteradio.me or call 843-808-0777. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special guest is Courtney Marquisani, and we will be talking about um, her journey as well as her new book, Four Gifts of the Highly Sensitive, Embrace the Science of Sensitivity, Heal Anxiety in Relationships, and Connect Deeply with Your World. Courtney Marquisani is the author of, like I said, The Four Gifts of the Highly Sensitive and developer of the Highly Sensitive Gifts Test. Named as the 2017 Hay House Writers Workshop Award winner, her insights into, into sensitivity helps readers identify their gifts of intuition, empathy, vision, and expression to maximize their potential while also learning how to, excuse me, how former trauma may have shaped them. She was accepted to the Bigelow Institute of Consciousness Studies International Essay Contest for her original research into the afterlife. Courtney's health and wellness coaching style focuses on holistic medicine and finding balance while living with sensitivity. Since sensitivity is closely interconnected with the nervous systems and brain functioning, it is not something to get rid of. She is known for her intuitive and empathic style, which gives me which emphasizes acceptance, learning how sensitivity's silent effects can impact mental, emotional, spiritual health, and wellness. Courtney Marquisani shared her own transformational story in her first book, The Energetic Psychopath, which explains the tumultuous and vindicating journey that unlocked her powerful and innate gift, intuition. In her extraordinary new book from Hay House, The Four Guests of the Highly Sensitive, Courtney destigmatizes the term sensitive, illustrating how sensitivity is a powerful advantage and provides a pathway to an effective balancing between highly aware, being highly aware and participating fully in the world without feeling the need to shut down or self-anesthetize to avoid pain, people, or environmental stimulation. For more information, you can visit Courtney's website, which is www.inspiredpotentials.com. Okay. Hello, Courtney. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Well, I'm I'm looking yeah, I'm looking forward to our, our conversation today. Now, I'm going to do a real quick tease. I did take your your um, your test. Um, oh, you did. So, what did yes, it come I did. up? Well, you, well, you don't have to share. You can. I, we won't do that right now. We'll we'll, okay. just, we'll have some suspense. <laughs> okay. Suspense <is> good. Cliffhanger. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. So um, let, let's start with um, the idea of, you know, highly sensitive. So can you explain to the listeners what you would describe as those who are highly sensitive? Well, um, the scientific study started in the 90s. Dr. Elaine Aaron, she was one of the first researchers who worked in psychology and she did a test called the highly sensitive person scale so the highly sensitive person scale formalized sensitivity and so sensitive people feel more sensory uh, information than others in their environment so they pick up more sensory information but they also have what's called emotional reactivity, which means they respond faster uh, emotionally to the information they pick up in their environment. So that's the sensitivity in a nutshell, but essentially it's called depth processing. 
sensitives feel more and see, hear, and translate more in their environment, and then they respond to it um, emotionally much faster than others. And it's one in four, one in five people, so it's about 20%. Oh, wow. That's that's a, a good portion of the, the population. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. So now do you – let's do the, the – the, Nurture nature thing. Do you, um, is is one born um, sensitive, or or can and, and can one um, uh, sharpen sensitivity? Yes, it is genetic. It's a genetic inheritance, and it's scientifically called the biological sensitivity survival strategy, which is a long name for the fact that it is inherited. It's passed down. It's a genetic trait. There's a lot of different hypotheses as to why it's handed down genetically and why, um, you know, how sensitivity helps our society. Um, but, yes, you can be predisposed or have a predisposition for sensitivity. Mm-hmm. And then, yes, the second part is you can become more sensitive in your environment. And when I wrote the book, Four Gifts of the Highly Sensitive, I... Um, explore my own hypothesis as to why people become more sensitive in their environment and I go into great depths into why that is and so I talk about things like early childhood adverse experiences which bring sensitivity out uh, more and then I go into the reasons why I believe that to be the case so that's my own opinion yeah yeah well I mean it's um it's just very interesting, you know, the uh, with, with such a large population. Uh, anyway, I'm going to let it out, <laughs> out of the bag right now. I was um, an IV. Um, oh, okay, an intuitive visionary. That's intuitive a really visionary. amazing gift. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. So anyway, um, you know, when, so when it came time to um, thinking about this particular topic, it was like, okay, this, you know, I can see where it would be interesting now. Um, what, what, what is, do you feel, do you feel that, um, uh, like, uh, coincidence or synchronicity or what, how does that play into, um, sensitivity? I mean, are, is there any kind of connection between the two? Most definitely. Most definitely there's a connection. And I'm really glad that you brought it up because it's a, it's kind of a, a little known fact. It, it circles, um, synchronistic events circle around sensitive people. They describe synchronistic, synchronicities happening more often. And um, I, I go back to Carl Jung a lot in my own work and his work because he talked about synchronicity. And I kind of tied it all together with the gifts of sensitivity because it does seem that sensitives are able to process this depth function when they're in different environments. They're able to perceive the depth of situations. It could be environments with other individuals and relationships. So that means that they're basically processing information at a much faster rate. But also they might be staying aware very aware and present, or mindful would be another word for it, while they are processing information from their subconscious. And so Jung talked about it under that umbrella or that caveat that individuals who are really tuned into their own subconscious and perceiving at a deeper level will have synchronistic events Mm. more often. And so it happens naturally. It does happen organically. And I always tell people, especially intuitives like yourself, to pay attention to the synchronicities because there does seem to be meaning. It's not just, um, you know, random. It doesn't seem to be at random. The synchronicities seem to happen. um, In German, a friend of mine told me one time that uh, synchronicity or coincidence is Zutfall. Zutfall. And it means she put her hand out in front of her and she said, this is like a, uh, it falls in your hand. And so it's a beautiful metaphor for the fact that there might be something falling in your path, but it's in your hand or you're catching it. And so there's some meaning unfolding for you. So I always tell the intuitive sensitives to pay attention to that synchronicity because there could be some um, hidden meaning in it. Yeah, I've, um, w- I, I love synchronicity when it mm-hmm. happens, you know, um, and 
I've gotten, I, I always look at it as just um, a gift of being right, like an affirmation of being right where I am supposed to be doing, you know, right at that particular moment in time and space. I'm exactly where I should be. Mm-hmm. So I, use, I usually say thank you, <laughs> you know, because I just think always. it's great. Yeah. yeah and, be grateful. And, the gratitude helps. And it also oh. helps to kind of acknowledge when you're recognizing it intrapsychically when it's happening on the fly you're recognizing that and also validating yourself when you're being grateful and feeling the gratitude. So it enhances that capacity to sense um, when you are in tune with those intrapsychic processes. So a lot of times people feel like synchronicity is magic or it's like deja vu and you can't track mm-hmm. it, but I, I don't think that that is the case. I think that with sensitive people it is part of the phenomenon of sensitivity, definitely. Yeah, yeah, it, it's um, I don't know, it's it's a it's a fun phenomena. <laughs> it is fun when you're yeah. light about it and you're yeah. open and you're perceiving on those levels and your awareness is peaked. It becomes kind of like a game, and it is joy and lighthearted and effervescent, and so all of those things that you described, it's nice when you can get in that mode. It's kind of like being at a peak, uh, you know, a peak state of awareness. Yeah, yeah, very much so. So now your your new book, Four Gifts of the Highly Sensitive. Um, first of all, before we go into a you know a, a kind of a high level discussion of, of each of the four, um, tell us about um, how you came to recognize, I guess, a pattern or or, or the particular the, the attributes, you know, the the connection as gifts. Well, I'm an intuitive myself, <laughs> so I do recognize patterns, and that's part of the, the one of the skill sets for intuitives is they perceive patterns, and then they try to connect patterns to larger, um, you know, broader critical thinking and how these patterns work in the world and how things are connected in the big picture. So I had a personal experience that was really mind-boggling, but also very transformative um, on a very deep level where I prevented a fire in a Seattle three-story brownstone in my, my friend's apartment building. And after that experience happened, I was changed on a level um, that is hard to describe with words. It's almost like a wordless um, mm-hmm. transformative experience. So when that happened, I went in search of understanding why I was able to get us back to her apartment before the fire actually, um, you know, burned the building down. I mean, there's no other way to say it. So for me, that was phenomenal. And then my opinion about things were changed because it kind of opened my mind to the fact that we are sensors. If we pay attention, if we pay mindful attention to things like inner voices or our physical sensations Um, they will lead us to greater understanding. And so I didn't have that language back then. This was 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was definitely a life-changing experience that led me on the path to figuring it out and to doing the research. So the book that I wrote, Four Gifts, is basically the 20 years' worth of research that I've been working on to basically present my case for sensitive gifts. Well, great. Um, So let's talk about... The four, um, you know, maybe we can you can give us a kind of a, an overall description of them. Well, the intuitive seems to be threading through this discussion, so we can start with the intuitive. Uh, intuitive individuals are kind of just recapping what we've what we've covered already. They're very uh, in tune with their intrapsychic processes, so they are they're tapping into their subconscious and getting answers to questions that does not follow intellectualism or logic. It's it's not one plus one plus one equals three. They're mm-hmm. basically getting information from their storehouse of knowledge of perceiving and taking information in to their subconscious. And then when they need an answer, it comes very quickly and they know it's right. They don't know how they know it's right, but it's correct. And so intuitives also have that pattern recognition where they can see and perceive patterns in the environment and make connections. And to them, it almost feels like a web, like a subtle web that they can see (laughs) 
these mm-hmm. connections and discern how things are connected. And this is kind of where the predictive part of it comes in, especially in business or corporations or inventiveness. They can predict or see what is needed. So they, they solve problems through predictive creativity. So they also are excellent at business. They're great with poker. I mean, they they have the capacity to get answers without cognitive reasoning, cognitive reasoning, normal cognitive right. reasoning. Mm-hmm. So scientists call it a cognitive anomaly because it doesn't follow the regular process of logic. So intuitives, gosh, there's just so much to say about intuitives. They have the ability to, to discern um, subtle body language so they can pick up how people are behaving by reading those subtle movements, head tilts, uh, microfacial expressions, and then put that all together to perceive someone else's um, attitudes or you know, what they're feeling. Now, it's not the same as empathy, but there's a lot of crossover with empathy. So we can go into the empathic ability next. Um, there is a lot of crossover between intuition and empathy, and people ask me, what's the difference? And <laughs> empathy uh-huh. is more of a feeling, mm-hmm. a facile ability to feel other people's feelings within one's own body is the basic way to uh, explain it. But empaths also have the ability to feel not only other individuals' feelings, but they connect deeply with animals, their pets, mm. um, different kinds of environments. They're very connected to nature. Nature is a powerful healing source for them. Um, empaths have the ability to feel sensations in their physical body, um, you know, kinesthetically through the tactile feelings, touch, and they have, um, you know, very subtle, fine sensations through feelings. So where the crossover happens between intuition or empathy, or if somebody takes a test and it comes that they're an intuitive empath, that's a combination or a convergence between the two gifts. So mm. those individuals will have incredible, thoughtful feelings. That's how I usually describe it. They have feelings and thoughts that bubble up together that kind of coalesce and give them a general sense about places, individuals, um, any kind of situation. Um, so that's empaths, and there's different types of empaths. I go into that in the book. There's compassionate empaths, spiritual empaths, healer empaths. So I break the empath category down into the different types of empathy and the different type of empathic person you might be. Then there are the visionaries. So you had IV, so you also have the visionary, um, the visionary ability. And visionaries have a very finely honed mental uh, image field, like right in front of their eyes, where they call it, I call it the mind's eye. It's been called the mind's eye before, and I think it's a really great way to describe this um, the skill or the ability to take objects or locations or even uh, facial recognition and put it into the mental field and then be able to turn objects over in that space, think three, four, or five dimensionally, and be able to solve problems by using the mind's eye. So the visionary is also similar to the empath where you have different types of visionaries who use different parts of their brain for spatial awareness, spatial reasoning, and it, it's, it's a very wide uh, field. And so the, the visionary quality, people will often say, well, I'm not a visionary because they don't have some aspects of the visual acuity, but they have a lot of others. So that's why the test is kind of long. I'm asking questions in different ways to try to figure out what type of visionary are you. So visionaries are really known for being so... Um, taking those mental leap forwards in time and being able to use their visionary ability to do that. So you have people that are 
um, literary writers who who write science fiction. They're typically visionaries because they're imagining the future and they're solving these problems through their creativity and their writing. That's one aspect of a visionary. There's also engineers. Engineers are visionary because they're being able to do planning. Uh, construction people are also visionaries because they're using it and applying it to planning through cities and development. So it depends on the kind of visual acuity you have and how it works for you. Then there's the expressives. The expressives are the quintessential creators. They have what is called aesthetic sensitivity. And so aesthetic sensitivity is a um, is ability where they go into an environment and they perceive beauty. Not only do they see and perceive beauty, and this is my interpretation of aesthetic sensitivity, they are able to synthesize with the environment, the people, wherever they might be, take the beauty from the environment, bring it inward, use their creativity, synthesize what they see, hear, and feel, and then create meaning, artistic meaning out of it. Mm -hmm. So this is the writers, the painters, the actors, the dramatists, and um, the dancers. I mean, it goes on and on and on. So expressives really need to create in order to feel good. That's the additional piece that I always like to share, is that if they don't create routinely, they can actually get sick because they're they're suppressing their creative energy and not allowing mm. that synthesis to come through their own embodiment. Wow. Yeah. The, boy, those are – I love uh, the um, all the different categories. I want to um, take a, a quick break, Courtney, and because um, we're streaming live, so I do want to invite listeners, if they have any questions, they can call in at 619-789-4359. Um, and then when we come back, I want to kind of go into I as you were you were going through that I was kind of making making some notes, and mm -hmm. so I have some kind of questions that we can talk sure. a little bit more about that. Okay, great. So everyone, sure. great. Everyone, stay tuned. We'll be right back after this brief break. Hello, this is Robert Sharp. I want to thank you for joining us and hope that you are enjoying today's show. Just a reminder that we have a wealth of information and resources available on our website, byteradio.me. There is a calendar of upcoming shows along with an archive link that will give you access to more than 1,400 shows we have had over the past nine years. Also on the site is a link to the products and services we provide, books, photography, a wellness store, and self-publishing assistance. Our show is a free podcast on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. And you can subscribe for free on any of those platforms by using the links on our website homepage. We are on many social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, etc. And we also have buttons to those platforms at the top of our homepage. Our website ByteRadio.me has much for you to explore and enjoy. I also very much appreciate you supporting our guests, and especially today's guest. And now, back to the show. Okay, everyone, thank you for staying with us again today. My special guest is Courtney Marquisani, and we are talking about uh, her new book, which is Four Gifts of the Highly Sensitive, Embrace the Science of Sensitivity, Heal Anxiety in, in Relationships, and Connect Deeply with Your World. Again, you can find out more by visiting Courtney's website, which is www.inspiredpotentials.com. Okay, with that, we're back, Courtney. Great. Great. Okay, so um, I want to start with um, kind of, you know, you, you did a great job of, of telling us about the strengths of of the, you know, each of these um, gifts. So, but I want to kind of talk about, like, for example, in, in the intuitive, um, you, do you feel, you mentioned that, that connectedness was a part of it. And then you also mentioned at one point that, um they're, they're the type that will see it from every angle. So do you, do you think that, I mean, is, is that is, is that connectedness 
that is the source of that expanded view? Well, with the intuitives, you're talking about two yes. different um, two different capacities there. So the intuitives okay. really do connect patterns. I mean, that's one of the things okay. that's a beautiful um, a beautiful way that the intuition appears. It's not just a lot of people think it's just getting from A to Z without knowing how or why. You just get the answer and that it comes. That's true, but there is also this larger awareness, which I think you're touching on, where you, um, it is expanded. It's not just getting the answer when you need it. It's also connecting the pattern to a larger um, system. So it's like mm-hmm. systems thinking in a way, because intuitives are able to um, project not just an idea that they get that they know is right or that it's right on the money, even though it hasn't you know, evolved yet in our society, but they're able to take maybe even what is needed in a society and make these subtle connections through a systems thinking approach and connect all of that and then be able to provide uh, mm. an answer. Or even if it's not developed yet, like, you know, a technology, that would be a good example to draw from. Or like Einstein, he did the same thing. He was always asking questions, always connecting, you know, light, relativity, matter, and continuing to see those connections, even though he didn't have the answer yet. He just kept connecting it until he had it, until he had the answer, until he got the formula or the proof. So intuitives, it's it's just one of the... Um, ways that they're able to make sense in their world is through pattern recognition and connecting the dots. Okay. The visual part that you explained is where you turn mm -hmm. things over in your mind. That's more of a visionary quality because visionaries have that function of the mental uh, field Uh, or the mind's eye where they're able to turn things over. So it's less of linear thinking you know, A plus B mm-hmm. equals C. It's much more taking quantum leaps by looking at, at different sides. Now, with the intuitive visionary, when those two are coalesced, then yes, you're going to see that expansiveness, the connectedness of the patterns, and also the visual quality come in for problem solving. Okay, okay. Well, great. Um, now, with empathic, um, you know, the those who have that ability to have the feelings, you know, kind of internalize or feel what others are um, are feeling. Um, is there, um, what is the, um, is there a danger in, um, how, how can one who's empathic in a healthy way for themselves, you know, manage those feelings of others? Empaths, I feel for empaths because they... Now, you didn't you, you didn't just try to make a joke, did you, that you feel... <laughs> no pun intended, right? <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> it just came out. It must have been a Freudian slip. I don't want that. I don't want that. So, yeah, uh, they, uh-huh. they struggle. They really yeah. do struggle. And, and if they don't know, if an empath isn't self-aware, especially when they're in relationship with someone else, if they're not aware of the dynamics that are happening with those feelings, they can get overwhelmed by them. Uh, and, and even in settings where it's like healthcare settings or other highly charged environments where there's a lot of exhaustion or there is someone projecting their pain process, their internal pain process outward, if an empath doesn't realize they're an empath, they will suffer because they'll pick up on it, they won't know why, they're not consciously aware of it. So I always tell people who are empaths to do the boundary work. Boundaries, and the me, not me. So this is me, these are my feelings and my internal uh, feelings, and then these are yours. So it takes a while for an empath to, to tease that out, because they literally cannot filter out emotions coming in. And so... I always encourage boundary work first, which is me and not me. And the book is filled with exercises for empaths about how to do that in a safe way so that they can understand where their boundaries lie. Yeah, yeah, because I 
I too. I mean, I, I know of a couple of people who are empathic, um, but there's the people who are empathic and don't know it. Um, and, and really, if I were to talk to them about it, you know, I don't know how much they would understand. Um, but um, it, it creates chaos for them. It does. You know? They feel, um, they feel yeah. at times, I mean, this is the literal craziness, you know, yeah. when you get um, that label coming in because it looks so erratic. This individual mm-hmm. who's usually very kind and compassionate and caring just looks like uh, they're a mess, you know, or that right. they're, they're mm-hmm. on a roller coaster or a vicious cycle of erratic behavior, which basically stems from them being affected by yeah. the intensity of the emotions and their environment they are not consciously aware of. So once they kind of bring that under control and they start to realize that they can do self-care work that helps them to be able to perceive. Now, it's not it, – it doesn't go away. That's the other thing I, I like to – advise people about because when they are an empath sometimes they just want to be rid of it i just want this to go away and it's not going to go away it's part of who you are it's it's an innate ability and so my approach is to recognize the beauty of it that once you recognize what kind of empath you are you can really lean into it and become a great counselor or a legal advocate sometimes empaths are firefighters, policemen, you know, people who do rescue work, who kind of come on the scene, they take care of you and then they and then their job is done. And so empaths can be in those roles, but they have mm-hmm. to be aware they're empathic and they have to take care of themselves and do their own work to be in balance. And then it becomes a beautiful gift. It's not yeah. the it's not the overwhelm and 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 feeling overcome by the world. It's being in control of 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 your feelings and knowing how to regulate it, self-regulate. Yeah, yeah. I've um, it, it does seem to be very important, and you know, and it's. I think, you know, I mean, it, it, when it comes to um, their, I don't want to say their role, but I mean their expression in life as as being really highlights the importance of feelings in creation. I think. Feelings are so important, and it, the feelings. I, I've said this. I say in the book too, but it's it's important to mention it and and re uh, familiarize us with this concept. That emotions are one of the most complex things for our brain to deal with and and solve for for us. You know, so emotions are powerful, and they can whisk us away. But when you recognize that they're just emotions and that they pass, and that you can basically ride them like a wave, like a surfer, or ride through them, and you learn how to adapt with them, they become a powerful asset to be able to discern the currents and moods of a a boardroom or the dynamics that are in play where political decisions are being made. I mean, empaths have that acuity or that ability to sense what's underneath uh, yeah. the dynamics at play. And that is another uh, strong capability that we need in our societies. We need empaths to be whole, um, and they are whole, and then resourceful and, you know, and usually very kind and thoughtful and listening to what's needed in situations and can provide eloquent solutions because they're in, deeply in touch with feelings. Yeah. You know, and, and I can see, you know, when it comes time to um, – you know, being in in the business kind of arena, being or, or just in general, this idea of, of connecting to someone's feelings. I mean, with feelings being what motivates us into action, then you know the ability to to connect to that source of motivation in in itself can um, be a blessing. It's such a blessing. Empaths yeah. can divine the hidden motivation of someone else's thought process when the other person doesn't know themselves. I mean, that's how incredible empaths are at discerning motivations, passions. Um, You know, they can see immediately in their perception, in their perspective, what's going on in a situation and what needs to happen. They get frustrated. And so it's easy for them to get emotionally exhausted. It's easily for them to become overcome 
by the dynamics in a situation, but they can become stronger. And there's also um, detachment. So that's the other piece that I teach empaths is how to detach from situations and not be attached to outcomes and results. And so, you know, especially for the empath healer or the empath counselor, you know, uh, it's important for them to understand how to let the feelings wash through, how to hold space for their clients um, or their patients, if you're a doctor or a nurse, and how to let the feelings wash through so that there is a safe container for the individual who's seeking out an empath healer or an empath counselor. And then they can feel that depth. The patient or the client can feel that connection and feel held like they've never been held before. And empaths do that. They do it easily through love and compassion and care. And and that's what we need. That's what empaths, yeah. empaths, certain types of empaths provide for our society. And we need that healing capacity. Yes, we do. We do. And um, and I think I don't think they can. They don't, they don't get enough recognition for what they do for us. Um, so now, have you ever had a any kind of negative reaction? I mean, when you're seeing these abilities in yourself and others. Um, what what are some I mean are, are there any downsides to yes yes okay. <laughs> I mean it's what we're known for right you're too sensitive you're crazy oh, you know okay. I mean all yeah. of the hysterics and the histrionics and I wrote about that in the book too you know that we've just been classified and misclassified and misconstrued as individuals who are you know high maintenance demanding I mean any any negative <laughs> pejorative, you know, has been attributed to sensitives. But um, I have seen real downsides where you have people who are so so intuitive that they're almost precognitive or telepathic, and that can be painful when you're intuiting, right, information about someone else, and then you have to sit with it. That can be painful for an intuitive if they don't know how to let it go or release yeah. that information and not get hooked into it or feeling like they're responsible for it. That can be painful um, because you want to help in situations right. where you see an outcome or danger or a warning, and, and that can be a downside. Now, there's also the upside to that is when you learn how to communicate effectively to individuals who might not be as aware or open-minded to, to couch things in a safe way. And so that becomes the intuitive work to become so adept at reading other individuals that they can um, share information without it being hurtful or scary. But, yeah, that can be one of the downsides. Yeah, boy. Um, so now with your intuitive nature and, and, and being involved, you know, um, uh, you know, people with the, the gifts. What what has been your personal? If you could, you know, highlight one particular um, experience um, that maybe touched on one of the four gifts um, for you that was, you know, that made a big difference. Maybe that maybe it was a surprise or it was just you know critical for you. Of my own personal experience yeah, of experiencing yeah. the gifts? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. I mean, the gifts have changed my life in so many positive ways. I mean, it's been life-saving for me to be able to recognize these patterns in myself, but also in others. And it was life-saving for me because I didn't recognize that I was sensitive for a long time. I felt like... Maybe that I was doing, um, I was social conforming, conforming to what was needed in environments, whatever that might be. And so I really kind of didn't know that I was. And so sensitivity has definitely saved my life. I mean, in numerous times. I have had precognitive warnings about the future, and I always uh, follow them. And so... I think one of the most profound life-saving stories I have about my intuition that completely, you know, elevated my own perspective. It is always elevating my perspective to reach and grasp for more possibilities. But one of the most profound things was uh, my daughter. It saved my daughter's life. I had a dream that was a visionary dream. It was prophetic. And um, I don't think that I had had uh, the type of quality 
of lucidity that this dream was. It was very real. I mean, obviously, I knew I was in a dream. There was a lot of metaphorical content. But while I was experiencing it, I saw danger. And I actually saw an individual take her and kidnap her. And so that was very jarring Mm -hmm. to my psyche. But I had been trained by an FBI profiler a little bit, and she taught me some tactics while you were in the lucid dreaming state to to use to discern information for real-life consequences. And so I used that ability and what she had taught me while I was in that lucid dream state. I came out of the dream, and I wrote everything down, including the person who I saw. And, um, you know, that for me was um, a life-altering experience that taught me that intuition is so much more than we think it is. And so I did go. I was My daughter was not living with me at the time. She was in another state, and I had no communication or inroads to her. But that dream taught me that I needed to act and not wait. And I had a lot of prayer. I was praying a lot at that time. And so the answer to my prayer was this vision about saving her. And so I did. I went and I I untangled her from that situation. And as I did, we saw the individual in my dream. I saw him in real life. And so that was the most remarkable, profound thing I've experienced so far. And my daughter is safe and sound, thank God. But it taught me that when our attention is very strong, whether it's through prayer or meditation or mindfulness or however you imagine that process where you connect deeply with your heart, and it's not about you, you know, it's about the best and highest good with no agenda, that intuition is life-saving. And I've seen it happen over and over and over again. And I've never heard or experienced that type of dream again, which was so life-saving, and it was basically direction forward, like you need to get involved, but that was probably the biggest. Wow, that's pretty big. (laughs) It was. It was big. And I don't talk about it very much, you know, but I think that just being honest and truthful, that was was for me – it was more than just being proof positive yeah. an individual in real life it was it was like this is real the dream world exactly. and the waking world are so tightly connected and so close that was another fascinating aspect to me that i just i never let go and so i continued to study and research well how is the waking life close to the dream life and how do those cross over and how do visionaries navigate it and so that's you know, why I include visionaries in the book and why I love meeting visionaries because it's it's hard to reconcile when you see that colorful inner life come and take shape in a dream and it does connect reality. It does connect to rea- reality and it's interesting how it does so. Oh, yeah, I agree. I, I've been um, very much, uh, I've recorded my dreams for a long, long time and and have I always have shows on dreams. I just love having it. I just think the dream world is just fascinating. It you is. Know? Um, it is. I, used to, I mean, I was astro projecting as a child through my dreams, like all the time. <laughs> I mean, it was so just, you feel like the visionary. You do. You do see yourself in the visionary ability. Yeah, yeah. When 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 I you know looked at the characteristics, and when I got after I did the. Um, you know the quiz. You you know you send back the the information, on it. and when I went through that information, it it yeah it resonated very Good. very very Good. close. Yeah, it's so new. You know, it's such new work, and there's never been a book like this before. I mean, there are books about these types of things, but never has anyone combined them all and put it under the umbrella of sensitivity. So I'm really excited yeah. about that. That it's it's probably five to ten years ahead of its time. <laughs> but yeah. I know well, I know that people will catch up to it because intuition works that way. You know, you're always kind of out in front and ahead of the curve. and People will connect with it and they will find it. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and like I said in the introduction, you know, talking about your work in de-stigmatizing, uh, de-stigmatizing yeah. the, the idea of sensitivity and, and being uh, – um, now – um, one last question here. Um, we've talked a little bit about children. <laughs> um, 
children seem obviously to me it seems like you know children have this like heightened sensitivity i mean um i i i think they're highly sensitive you know when especially as in, in the infant and toddler stages what what's your feeling about um sensitivity do do you feel that the, the children are more Oh, yeah, and it's a scientific fact that they are because they have such acute sensory awareness. I mean, they can hear at decibel levels and volumes as we can't as we age because our, um, you know, our aging process happens and our senses dull. And so the way that you can see that is through the studies around decibel and volume. And so all the science is there that children are much more sensitive. It's part of development they, you know, they express it in different ways. They're in touch with their creativity. They're in touch with magic. They use magical thinking for most everything, you know. <laughs> they do reality testing. They're trying to figure it all out, you know. And then there becomes a certain stage where, I mean, the critical, I call it the critical stage, and developmental psychologists do too, where they go through these critical periods of development where you just see amazing stuff happen. It's just like the neurons, you know, and how they prune (laughs) when they go through adolescence so many of their neurons out because they're trying to enhance what they're using more. And so, yes, they are definitely scientifically more sensitive. So... uh you know, is, when you talk, when you said prune, um, is, do we, um, as a society, do we? I mean, it seems that we um, discourage sensitive, you know, behaviors um, from. Um, and we can ignore that. We're going to go ahead, and folks, and go beyond the uh, few minutes beyond. Um, it, it seems that. You know, they're um, you know as they get older, they're they're um, well. You know, you, you gave a couple of examples of you know the negative stereotypes when, when it comes to sensitive people, um, and what, so when, when it comes to kids, I mean, it's a it's a tantrum, it's an outburst, or you know, um, you know, they're an imaginary friend. I mean, there's just so many different um, ways. I think as a society, we temper or, or, or clamp down a little bit on, on sensitivity. Absolutely. I mean, I think that we are taught to conform. Um, we're taught to conform from very young ages. And sensitivity is not just sensitivity. I have kind of outlined in the book what I've observed is a phenomenon called sensory intelligence. Sensory intelligence is definitely known. It's in the nomenclature, but it's not really... Um, talked about, I mean, it is in some ways like sensory motor therapists and other individuals are aware of sensory intelligence. But what I've seen is an actual uh, phenomenon where the senses connect to these gifts in a way that educates and informs the individual subjectively about what is needed, what's about to come, whether there's going to be an onslaught. And so as children, we don't have that developed. Developed. We're still very, there's a lot of plasticity going on. We're growing. Our neurons are constantly working for us as children. And so we are as children bombarded, bombarded with sensory information. And children don't have the communication, the language, or the ability to process what's going on inside themselves outwardly. They think they're the only ones that are experiencing what they're experiencing or they're the only ones that have a problem. So sensory intelligence and multisensory intelligence comes about to inform the child as they're developing, this is my opinion, my hypothesis, how to behave, act, and keep themselves safe. And through that process of development, the sensitivity becomes so finely honed and they can predict warning signs. Kids can, and so that helps them to uh, bolt from a room, right? You see children bolt away <laughs> from movies that are cringeworthy, right? Exactly, right, the or right time. Or mm-hmm. you know, their emotional content that feels intense or suffocating or overwhelming. They just run out. They'll run out and they'll come back when that, you know, when that theme is gone. Or there's the ant, the suffocating ant that wants to hug you and love on you, and you see the sensitive kid run for the hills <laughs> because they just 
feel emotionally suffocated by what that person is projecting or trying to, you know, suck from them. So, you know, their own emotions and they feel this is dangerous. And so, yes, there are negative pejorative things because you see the sensitive kids running for the hills or hiding in a box or hiding in a closet or, you know, feeling um, more reserved, not wanting to engage as much because their sensory system is saying, you need to back off. And it's a defense system. It's a, a defense mechanism to be able to feel equilibrium or homeostasis. So, yes, yeah. there's a lot of negative stereotypes. But when you start to dig down into the reasons why, it makes perfect sense. Oh, it does. Yeah, yeah, that does when you say that. Okay, so I, I guess the last question is what do you hope um, people, the readers, will take away from reading um, Four Gifts of the Highly Sensitive? Because it really is a gift that you don't need to get rid of it, that it's an asset. Find the strength in it. Find how to work with it. Use it in all areas of your life. Because I have found that sensitivity is a remarkable a remarkable ability that we don't even understand. And so there are amazing attributes. It definitely helps us to heal. If you pay attention to the sensory warning signals that your body, your central nervous system is giving you routinely, that you might be neglecting or pushing through, sensitivity, in, as far as I'm concerned, will help you heal any malady or ailment in your body because it's all in your central nervous system. And if you can pay attention and heed the warnings and, and do what you need to do, like self-care, it heals. And you can heal. And so I do believe, and that's why I'm so glad that I was published with Hay House, is because that's a very controversial statement to make. <laughs> but I do believe right. that is the the message of my book, that you're okay, sensitivity is okay, it's a good thing, and mm-hmm. it, it can help you heal in your own Embrace unique, it. individual way. It's called right. self-healing. Exactly. Well, I really enjoyed our chat today, Courtney. Me too. I want to thank you for your time. Thank you. Again, everyone, today my special guest has been uh, Courtney Marchisani, and we've been talking about her new book, Four Gifts of the Highly Sensitive, Embrace the Science of Sensitivity, Heal Anxiety and Relationships, and Connect Deeply with Your World. And again, you can find out more by visiting her website, which is www.inspiredpotentials.com. And everybody, until we meet again, Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Remember, our show is available as a free podcast from Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. To follow our show, visit our homepage at byteradio.me and select the platform you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Bite Radio Me. Until we meet again, remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.